Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program has been on the Internet air since uh, the latter half of 2007. Shalom, peace. And I wish there was peace around the world. Uh, people that are listening to me, I think you wish the same. And it will be soon. Uh, this program is about how that's going to happen. I'm going to do the best I can to explain in a clear way uh, that we are living in the time when he will come back. And I'm going to prove that to you through the scriptures. And, and you know, we all have to remember that the scriptures are the Father's words he has given the Son to reveal to us. And uh, Yeshua explained that to us. matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it states the following in the book of Revelation, starting in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which God gave unto him. And so the Father gives him revelation, gives him knowledge that he has to give to us. All right, uh, and it says here the revelation of Yeshua Messiah, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. So this this book is revealed to his servants at a time when events in the world, the things that the Bible has prophesied, will occur. And you know, people challenge me from time to time, and uh, when I give estimations of years they think i'm trying to figure out uh precisely when he's going to come back no i'm not doing that what i'm doing is what the lord commands us to do is to estimate to watch and i'm going to prove that to you today in the scriptures matter of fact he told daniel in daniel chapter 12 uh he revealed not daniel chapter 13 rather he revealed to daniel days to count and then i know in the messianic movement we that one scripture, no one knows the day or the hour. Yes, I understand that's referring to the trumpets, uh, Yom Teror, that none of us are going to know precisely when he's going to come back. But the Bible interprets that, folks. Sure. That's why we have to watch. We understand that. But the Bible interprets, uh, goes into further detail of how we're not going to know the day or the hour. And I'm going to reveal that to you today using the scriptures. All right, but that does not mean we're not going to get a sense or get a feel of when he's coming back because 
in Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to go over that to you today, reveals uh, the, the, the type of generation, and the generation, according to the Bible, is 70 to 80 years. Uh, it reveals the things that are going to happen in the generation when he's going to come back. And he said, this generation shall not come to pass. This, that's what he says. Now, let, let's understand something. John chapter 12, what does it say? John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself. This is the Messiah speaking. But the Father which sent me, which proves again that they're two separate beings, folks. I don't care what anyone tells me. They are. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what. And so really the entire words of the Bible, because Yeshua is called the word of God. And when you understand it, he was the God of the Old Testament, because in in, uh, the first chapter of John and in other places, he states that no one has seen or heard the father. So it had to be him uh, as a proxy for the father. Anyway, for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. In verse 50, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So all these words in the entire Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is the Father's words. So I just want to clarify that. Because people don't understand me when I quote from the scriptures. When anyone's quoting from the scriptures, they're quoting the Father's words that he has given to the word of God. I just want to make that perfectly clear. So, whatever I, when, if I quote the scriptures and I'm not twisting it into my own destruction or whatever, it carries a lot of weight because it's, the, actually, it's actually the Father's words. I don't know if you've ever understood or realized that before do now if you believe what I'm telling you based on the scriptures. And another point that I want to make, in Jeremiah, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 16, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So does it say, thus says uh, the Lord Canard? No, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you, that make you vain. They, I mean, they make you vain, rather. They prophesy unto you. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of their mouth of the Lord. And this is this goes on a lot, folks, and I do the best I can not to speak out of my own heart. I use the scriptures to say there will be a time in a particular generation where if he did not come, no flesh should be saved alive, then what generation could he be talking about? I'm just using common sense here. Obviously, he's talking about what I like to call the nuclear bomb generation. Because only in a nuclear bomb generation could we um, fulfill that scripture of if he could not come back, or if he did not come back, no flesh would be saved. So I hope you understand what I'm saying here. I'm using the scriptures to help me reason correctly. Again, that scripture in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22 states the following. It says, and see, cult for me to speak this way to people because most people don't want to think of catastrophe. They don't want to think of a nuclear holocaust. But that's what Yeshua prophesied of. He, he said, plainly, Matthew 24, verse 22, if he did not come, no flesh would be saved alive. It's going to get so bad that if he didn't come, the whole world would be destroyed. 
and man didn't have the weapons to destroy the whole earth until 1952, based on what Einstein stated. He said plainly that we have created a thermonuclear bomb. Now we have the capability to destroy every man and woman and child off this earth. So, you know, I'm just trying to to help you to understand here. I'm not predicting anything. I'm going by what the Bible has predicted. All right, so, hearken not unto you the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you that make you vain, that they speak a vision of their own mind and not of their heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, they say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. And see, I get that today in this messianic movement a lot. People want to shy away from prophecy. I know there's a few. I know Monty Judah, he doesn't shy away from prophecy. That's great. But but there's others that, that they just don't want to talk about it. And you're not teaching properly when you don't want to talk about it. That you just casually talk about it. You shouldn't be casually talking about prophecy, future history. Because hold your place here in Jeremiah 23, verse 17. Let's turn to Proverbs 29, verse 18. It states plainly, where there is no prophetic vision or vision, that's what it means in the Hebrew, vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. So you know, having a prophetic vision certainly has something to do with keeping the Torah. And it says that you're happy. And completely keeping the Torah is also going on the prophetic scriptures. Uh, traditionally, in, in the Bible, Acts 13 reveals this, they went over the, the prophetic scriptures every week. That's how important the prophetic scriptures are. So anyway, getting back to, uh, it says, no evil shall come upon you in verse 18. Let's go to Acts 13, if you don't believe me. There, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 reveals is uh, what they did in the synagogues. Acts 13, verse 15, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, every week they did that. Uh, verse 14, And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on Shabbat day and sat down. In verse 15, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And say, on this program, I do read out of the Torah. The Torah is not just first the first five books. It's all the instruction of the Bible, 66 books. And I also read from the prophetic scriptures. Now, I know there's a Jewish tradition, even back then, where they did that, you know, uh, in sequence. And I'm considering uh, doing something different, actually... Each and every week, uh, I may start this after the program next week, where I'm going to, um, where I'm going to, uh, you to read certain scriptures, and then I'm going to go over those scriptures uh, during this program. And so uh, I'm asking you to, um, what I'm going to be asking you to do is study the scriptures, and that way, the way I'm going to be doing it here. Uh, you're going to be able to read the Bible throughout the year, the entire Bible, not just the first five books. And so I'm going to give you more information on that uh, in, in the future. But right now, th this program is, is very important because I, I really want to explain 
that God does not want us being clueless about his coming. Sure, uh, the his believers in the first century believed he was coming back. All right, but when he told him, but let's, let's use our common sense here. When Yeshua told his disciples, and, you know, usually on this program, I, I usually talk about world events and so forth, but uh, I'm not going to have that much time, so I'm going to go right into the Bible study today and what it's all about, because Yom Teruah, if you haven't guessed already, uh, the Feast of Trumpets is about the second coming of the Messiah. <laughs> okay, so that's the theme of this program uh, today. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about that. But when he told them in Matthew 24, let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 20. Most people just don't get this. You know, I'm going to try to break it down as easy as I can. Matthew 24, verse 22, and except those days, what days? So it's obviously some days that he's talking about should be shortened. All right, so let's go. He says uh, a particular some days should be shortened. All right, so let's 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 go to this whole chapter here, uh, verse one, and analyze it. And Yeshua went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Now I'm going to reveal some things to you that you probably don't know, so I just want you to pay attention. All right, I'm usually not like this, but I really feel I need to be to wake people up here to reality. All right, so Yeshua uh, was from the temple, and that's significant because the temple has everything to do with end-time prophecy. Verse 2, And Yeshua said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In verse 3, And and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is across from the temple mount, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? In verse 4, And Yeshua answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and shall deceive many. All right, so he's talking about the time. Here's, here's the key phrase in this chapter. Tell us, when shall these things be? So does he want us to be in the dark? Does he does he want us to just be clueless about when he's coming back? No. He says, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? So he reveals the sign of his coming in this chapter for those who want to believe the words. Who are the Father's words that he gave to his son? Verse 4, and Yeshua answered and said unto them, take heed that no man you. So, one of the common traits of the days that has to be shortened is that there's great deception. Great deception about the Bible. Verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and shall deceive many. Verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Aren't we hearing that today? And so we have great deception, not only religious deception, all kinds of deception. Educational deception. Medicine deception, all kinds of deception, all right? Uh, Verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So the days that that should be shortened consist of, first of all, great deception, 
It consists of wars and rumors of wars. We've already had World War One, World War Two, World War Three is coming, which in all likelihood would be a nuclear war. Verse seven: For family shall rise against family. The word nation should be translated tribes or family, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. That that's occurring today. People say, "Well, Canard has occurred all throughout." Yes, but it's occurring in a great way now. And pestilences and earthquakes. We've had the the mightiest earthquakes consistently in the 21st century. That's what scientists are telling you in various places. And then verse eight: All these are the beginning, just the beginning of sorrows. And then verse nine: Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And so there's going to be persecution of true believers in this end time. And it is. Leading up to some of them being killed. Verse 10. And then shall... So here we go again. So we have deception. Great deception. We have wars and rumors of wars. We have chaos going on worldwide. We have families that can't get along with families. We have nations that can't get along with nations. We have famines. And that famine is not just not having food to eat, but economic famine, not being able to take care of your family and provide them with needs. Pestilences, we have diseases, we have the Ebola virus that is spreading, that hardly anyone is talking about, seriously. We have earthquakes, we have all kinds of earthquakes, a lot of earthquakes now in these end times in various places around the world. And then there is affliction, and then there's persecution of true believers around the world. And then verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Yes, there is betrayal among believers. That's another trait. And then again, there's there's so much false prophecy going on right now. People don't understand the prophecies of the Bible because they don't want to believe what the Bible says. Matthew 24, verse 11, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And then in verse 12, this is something I certainly can identify with. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Okay? Now, in light of that, in light of that, let's go to another scripture. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hold your place in Matthew 24, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than their lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from, from such turn away. And then verse 7 leads to this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. If that's not a description of the 21st century, gentlemen, I, I don't know what is. Okay? This is a description of certainly of this century. And all these sins, basically, has everything to do with the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And another key to understanding that we are certainly close to the becoming of the Messiah. And I mean close. I don't, I don't mean tomorrow. I don't mean in two years from now. What I'm saying is that if God allows these patterns to continue, it's a very high probability that he'll be coming back in this century, ladies and gentlemen. Even scientists realize that this world could be totally annihilated soon. 
And I think in the next 50 years, our population will be up to 12 billion, maybe even more than that. How in the world can we sustain a population of 12 billion people? And so we've got to to use our common sense here and realize, yes, all these other people that, that were telling you the end time was here and there were wrong, but we are certainly at this time in history living in the time of the Messiah coming back. There is no doubt. And one of the biggest proofs of that, there's a lot of proofs, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to reveal those today, hopefully, in this program, but one of the biggest proofs is the fact of the occurrence of homosexuality is increasing around the world exponentially. And the fact that God to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the book of Jude, he compares, he compares the generation where the days have to be shortened, and it's certainly this generation. I don't care what anyone tells me. The scriptures indicate that, and the signs indicate it, because the purpose of the, the Matthew 24 prophecy was revealed to the disciples, uh, and then the disciples that are living today in that generation, the sign of his coming. Okay, so let's let's use the common sense of the brain that God has given us, and let's think and and and, and think logically about things. And in Jude one verse five, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Verse six, and the angels were kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Obviously, their habitation was heaven. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in similar manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. That strange flesh was angelic flesh because the angels manifested themselves as men. And then they, of course, the men back in Genesis chapter 19, desired to have sex with them. I set forth for an example. Now, I want you to understand this significant verse. It's saying that Sodom and Gomorrah is an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. All right? And so the world at this state is becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. And what was the event that caused God to, to, to going after strange flesh? Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so, as the the uh, occurrence of homosexuality increases around the world, we know the time of the Messiah's coming is near. And even 10 years ago, it wasn't like it is today. Now, I've preached in this program that the United States is, certainly has everything to do with Israel, because Israel is described as Jezreel, wax fat, wax fat, wax fat, and Israel is described as people that have plenty, so much so that they they are fat people, they're overweight people, and they also claim to believe and they have access to the words of God. Uh, that simply tells you who Israel is, and if you just look on a map and do your studies. You can find where Israel's at, <laughs> plainly. <laughs> it is the people of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe. Of course, anyone that 
believes in Yeshua, and, and his nickname is Israel. He's, he's called Israel as well because he's the king of Israel. If you believe in him, I mean truly believe in him, and start keeping his Shabbat and holy days like he did, you are grafting yourself into the commonwealth of Israel. You become Israel as well. So it's not just geographically those nations, also people that that uh, attach themselves to Israel by keeping Israel's laws. Because the Messiah is also the king of Israel. King has rules and regulations that you must follow because he is your king. And to obey this king, you must obey the laws of Israel. All right, so so we are living, certainly living, in the generation that he was talking about. It's no doubt. I can't sugarcoat things and say what you want to hear. I have to tell you what I'm seeing because he wants us to watch, ladies and gentlemen. That's what most people don't seem to get. They don't understand that he does not want us being totally ignorant of what's going on. All right, um, Matthew, now people in the movement have, have challenged me and said, okay, well, he did state no one knows the day and the hour. We understand that. No one knows the day and the hour. I agree. Not even the Messiah knows. But let's read the rest of this chapter, all right? All right, so iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. All right, so what is he, the days that be she, the days that should be shortened, that should be shortened, days that should be shortened consist of great deception. It consists of wars and rumors of wars. It consists of people that don't care about one another. All right, The love of many shall wax cold. It, it consists of the true believers being persecuted consistently. It consists of betrayal of people that are believers, uh, some believers are going to be tares, and some believers are going to be wheat. Uh, it, it consists of great economic chaos around the world, uh, pestilences. We have the Ebola virus right now. Uh, we have other diseases around the world. We have earthquakes in various places. And so it consists of all that. It, it consists also the prevalence of sodomy, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah tendencies. And uh, if you don't understand the sins of Sodom, let me uh, go to Ezekiel, and this program more than likely is going to go over, <laughs> so it uh, may take me an extra 30 minutes, so I'm, I'm just letting you know about that because this is important what I'm talking about, and I really hope that you pass this message on to other people so they'll be aware of what's going on, all right? So, um, and they'll understand the meaning of what it says, no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 49, gives you the definition of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16, verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her, was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And so, you tell me that's not describing the 21st century today, in particular the Western nations. And they were haughty and committed abomination, who are a part of Israel, by the way. Committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw. All right? And so what are the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of laziness or idleness. That describes the computer technology world we're living in today. I mean, the kids today, especially the Generation Xers and the generation after that, they don't, they, they, 
they don't want to cut the grass. They don't want to pick up anything. I mean, they, they just want to push a button and let it do everything for them. Uh, so that, that's a prophecy about the abundance of idleness of our generation today, and particularly the youth. They're looking to work smarter, not harder. They're looking to work as least as possible. That's that's not that's certainly not scriptural to have that type of attitude. Because he tells us to work six days a week. So anyway, and we and we want to run away from any type of work. And that's not a, the right attitude. Uh, the abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. That's a common trait of this century. I've tried to explain to people many times they just have a brain pass gas or whatever about this. Uh, prior to the 1800s, the nations of the world were on the same level as far as socioeconomics or uh, having what you need. They were all on the same level. Changed until the 1800s with the invention of the steamboat by Britain. That started the Industrial Revolution. Read your history. All right? Ever since the 1800s, the gap between the rich and the poor has exponentially increased. So much so that the Bible prophesies here in Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. See, I'm trying to give you all the signs that we, the, the, the coming of the Messiah is imminent, folks. It really is, all right? And we need to stop the foolishness and listen to common sense and listen to the Word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 8. It states, um, well, actually, no. Proverbs chapter 30. There is a generation, verse 14, Proverbs 30, verse 4. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth. Okay? So this is in line with what Matthew chapter 24 is saying, that the love of many shall wax cold. Proverbs 30, verse 14 is an interpretation of that scripture as well, further interpretation. There is a generation, and what did Yeshua state in Matthew chapter 24? He stated plainly that there was going to be a generation that if he did not come, no flesh would be saved alive. All right? And a generation where the love of many shall wax cold. Certainly not caring for the poor shows that you wax, your, your love for many wax cold, right? There is a generation whose teeth are as sores and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor and the needy from among men. All right? And I can give you all kinds of stats to prove what I'm saying. I'm going to go to this website, my website, because I have a section on there about poverty. Okay? And, you know, I, I, I'm just, I, I think the Lord, matter of fact, I know the Lord is leading me here to wake people up that want to be woke up. Because most people, they just don't want to be woke up to the reality of this world. They just don't want to be woke up to that. All right? I'm going to give you the facts of poverty. This is probably the best website in the world on poverty. It's called globalissues.org. He backs up everything with statistics. It's by Anoop Shah, the best website I've ever known that goes into detail about poverty. Now, he has, go to this website, he has all kinds of, of information about poverty and the causes of poverty. Um, and you need to go to where it says poverty facts and stats. 
And then there's this chart that confirms that we are in the generation that the Bible has prophesied of. Uh, as far as the Messiah coming. It says almost half the world, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. Now you tell me that doesn't explain and, and confirm the prophetic scripture where it says, uh, what does it say here? Proverbs 30 verse 14. There's a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. The fact that over 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. And then it says at least percent of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. Yes. This generation did not begin until over the latter half of 1800s. Or after the 1800s with the invention of the steamboat. However, there's other elements of the generation that said he said that would not pass until all these things occur, all right? Which I believe, based on the scripture, it is our generation. Uh, because of what the word of God confirms, not because it's in my head, all right? And the things that are occurring. So, let's read the rest of this chapter, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. All right, so. Verse 13, it says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So it's talking about people that either terminate their lives or terminated, they endure to the end. And also it's talking about people who will be living in this generation. This generation that he's describing in detail. He doesn't want us being, uh, he does not want us not to have a clue, ladies and gentlemen. There's a reason for that. He wants us to know the time of his coming. Not the exact second of when he's coming back, not the exact moment of his coming, but he wants us to get an idea of when he's coming back. And I'm going to explain to you why, all right, through the scriptures. In verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom, what gospel? This gospel, the, the true gospel that I'm preaching to you every week on this program, the Jewish or Hebrew gospel, the gospel that encourages you to keep the Sabbath and holy days, not discourages you, that gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And that's interesting, it has the word witness, because the two witnesses will be doing the same thing. Back in the first century, the population was just 200 million people. Yeah, and that's true, the gospel was preached around the world, confirmed by Paul. However, it is going to happen again in a particular generation, where this Jewish gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that encourages you to keep the Sabbath and the holy days, not discourages you, because that gospel is a false gospel. Uh, but the true Jewish gospel will be preached around the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. All right? That also is going to be happening, and right now that's not happening. That gospel is not being preached around the world in a mighty way, but it will be soon. Verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. So there's going to be a statue, similar to the statue in Daniel chapter 2, that will be placed in the holy place. The holy place means a temple, despite what some people are teaching incorrectly. All right? Who has several read of, let him understand. For proof of that, the only other place in the New Testament where it has holy place is Hebrews chapter 9. 
Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's see if I can find it here. I had it. Type in the phrase here. Holy place. Because, you know, I, I, it's just, we've got to, again, take the words of the Bible seriously, ladies and gentlemen. And if we don't do that, we're not going to understand the scriptures like we should. Okay? And if we don't do that, then we're going to always run into these issues of of debate. All right, there's several scriptures in the New Testament that describes you what the holy place is. Matthew 24, verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in a holy place. Whoever read it, let him understand. Acts 6, verse 13. And he set up false witness, which said, This man ceases not to, to speak blasphemous words against his holy place. So that's in the context, certainly, of the temple being a built structure. Uh, Acts 21, verse 28. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere where against the people and the law in this place. And further, there we go. That's the Bible's definition of the holy place in the New Testament. It's the temple, okay? Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, by his own blood he entered once into a holy place. Okay, he entered into a holy place. That's another Bible interpretation of what the holy place is. It's a temple. Verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself as a high priest, enter into the holy place. Okay, this is enough to stop the foolishness. When he states holy place, it means a temple, ladies and gentlemen. All right? So the Messiah prophesied that there would be a temple, a temple being built in the context of the abomination of desolation. And so it's the Father's words that he gave the Messiah to tell us that there will be a temple. All right? So that's another sign that we are in the end times when that temple is built. Verse 16, to let them which be in Judea, that's the West Bank, flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And so if we are still alive at this time, when the temple is built and the sacrifices are, are started, as Daniel chapter 13 tells us, and when those, sacri- those daily sacrifices are stopped, that's when we know. That's when we know the time to count begins. And I'm going to show that to you in the scriptures. Hold your place here in Matthew 24, verse 15. I'm going to go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 13. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said 13. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter, no, Daniel chapter 13. Daniel chapter 12. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great, what time? The time that's described here in Matthew chapter 24. The great prince which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, looking and trying to find the truth, but also that's referring to our rapid transportation of the 21st century and 20th centuries. And knowledge shall be increased. That's a prophecy of the Internet. 
How else is knowledge increased today? Well, you can just type in the Google search engines and find anything you want. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. Verse 6. And said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Good question. Are we going to believe what the Bible says? Okay, let's, let's, let me read the rest of it. Verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, that should be a time, that's one year, times two years and a half. That's three and a half years. And so that's the answer to the question. If anyone you want to know, how long to the end of these wonders? It's a three and a half year period. People focus too much on the one week of Daniel. You need to focus on the three and a half years. And when he, he didn't say one week, he said three and a half years. And when he shall have accomplished and scattered the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And that's a prophecy of Revelation chapter 11 with the termination of the witnesses. Verse 8, and I heard, but I understood not, because when the witnesses are, are, are killed, their prophecy stops. And their prophecy is for three and a half years, for a time, times, and a half a time. So that verse 7, and it's interesting that it's verse 7, that's the number of completion, tells you when the end of these wonders will occur. Verse 8, and I heard, but I understood not, then said I, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So Daniel didn't understand this. But we can understand it. Verse 9. And this is the reason why Daniel couldn't understand this. Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. I just read to you the afflictions, the great afflictions that true believers will have in the end times, prophesied by the greatest prophet who ever lived, Yeshua Messiah. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked... None of the wicked. He said, none of the wicked shall understand. And that means what it says. None of the wicked. Who are the wicked? Those who don't keep the commandments. Those who don't keep the Shabbat and the holy days don't care about it. I'm not talking about those where it has not been revealed to them. I'm talking about those who have been, it has been revealed to them, and they deny it and don't want to keep it. They shall not understand these prophecies. They won't understand what I'm telling you. But the wise shall understand. Who are the wise? Hold your place and turn to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do. Does it say break his commandments? No. Do his commandments. Those are the wise. Part of those commandments is keeping the Shabbat and the holy days. All right, anyway. Verse 11. And from the time that the daily, what's the daily? If you turn to Numbers chapter 28, it tells you what the daily sacrifice is. It's the sacrifice of the lamb in the morning and in the evening. Okay? And so, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that make him set up, there should be 1,290 days. So, when... The, the sacrifices are stopped, that's when we start counting. So he's giving us days right now to count. 
Don't you see that? Verse 12, blessed is he that waits. All right, so for those who are alive at this time, we are commanded to wait. We're waiting and we're counting and coming to the 1,335 days. So why is God giving us days if we're not going to have a clue of when he's going to come back? Does that make sense? Use your brain and think. Verse 13, but go thou thy way till the end, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So anyway, Mark chapter 13 tells us, as far as watching is concerned, Matthew chapter 13. Well, actually, no. I'm going to go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to read this uh, chapter. Verse 1. And there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship there. Verse 2. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they thread in the foot forty-two months. The entire city of Jerusalem will be trampled. Zechariah 14 is talking about the same thing that the entire city of Jerusalem will be trampled. The signs you need to look for is that the women will be raped while it is trampled for 42 months, the entire city. Verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,203 score days. They're three and a half years prophesying. And what did the angel tell you? He stated that when the power of the holy people shall be scattered, Let's go back to that. Hold your place here in Revelation 11, verse 3. Let's go back to Daniel again. Daniel. Daniel, chapter 12, verse 7, states plainly, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, that's one year, times two years and a half, three and a half years, when he shall have accomplished and scattered the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. All these things shall be finished. All right? So that's the thing that you need to understand that the witnesses are prophesied in that one verse, ladies and gentlemen. And so you have to understand that. Stand that. Then you're going to have great difficulty understanding the rest of the prophecies of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Plain as simple as that. Plain as simple as that. And so, Daniel chapter 7 reveals again. Let me read it again. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which is upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, when he shall accomplish to scatter the power of the holy people. The power of the holy people will be scattered. And in Daniel 7, verse 25, reveals this as well. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given unto his hand again, for a time, times, and the dividing of time. All right? And so that that should help you to understand, again, 
what's going to happen. In Daniel 8, verse 24, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper in practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. It says that he will destroy the mighty and the holy people. Those people that he's going to destroy are the witnesses, folks. Because the Bible says that they will be killed by him. So that's something that you need to to understand and accept. And so, going back to Revelation chapter 11, let's read this. So we know, let me go over this again. He has described the days that should be shortened as the following. Days that consist of great deception. Days that consist of the poor being devoured off the face of the earth. Days that consist of earthquakes and famines, economic famines as well as downright physical famines of, of, of people starving around the world. Pestilences, diseases all around the world. He describes the people of God being persecuted around the world. Describes all that. I haven't even gotten to the nuclear bomb situation yet. <laughs> okay? But he describes all of that. And he said, the love of many shall wax cold, which is the sin of sodomy. It's part of the sins of Sodom when you don't care about people. That is certainly prevalent in this century, ladies and gentlemen. There's no denying that if you really want to to get your head out of the sand. And so the word of God, not me, is predicting that we're living in the generation of the coming of the Messiah. And it all came from the Father. All credit is to the Father. The Father gave me the wisdom and gave Yeshua the wisdom to tell you what generation he's going to come back in. And based on the sign, it appears that it is this generation. Now, generation could be 70 to 80 years, according to scriptures. It could be more. But it's certainly this generation, this generation that has all those characteristics that he identified, that it has to be this generation. All right? Now, we may not understand fully what the generation is, but we can have an idea. God revealed to us that a man has 70 to 80 years to live. And let's, uh, well, I'll go over this again. I'll go over it now. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, Yeshua stated that if he did not come, no flesh would be saved alive. We didn't reach the genesis of that time. We weren't even capable of doing that until 1952 with the thermonuclear bomb. So I'm just pointing that out to you. These are facts, all right? All right, so in Revelation 11, verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 4, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So these are two olive trees and two candlesticks. Now, the Bible defines in Revelation 1, verse 20. Hold your place in Revelation 11, verse 4. Let's turn to Revelation 1, verse 20. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou 
stars in thy right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. So a candlestick can be a an assembly, ladies and gentlemen. So I know people have preached for years that the two witnesses are only Moses and Elijah, some or some people with their with the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah, but it appears that the Bible says plainly that the two witnesses consist of two olive trees and two candlesticks. Okay, that's what the Bible tells you. Verse 5, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And Revelation 11, verse 6, These have the power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And so they have the power to, to stop rain. It's like Elijah he prophesied for three and a half years that there would not be rain and there wasn't rain. So in verse 6, it says, These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So the witnesses here will have tremendous power. Verse, uh, Revelation 11, verse 7, And when they have finished their testimony. When do they finish their testimony? When the three and a half years or the 1,260 days, cease. That's when. And this is why they're going to finish their testimony. The beast that ascends out of the bottom of the fish shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And so Revelation 11, verse 7, plainly reveals that they are going to be killed. They will be killed. Daniel 7, verse 21 reveals this. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. This is talking about the witnesses, ladies and gentlemen. This is a prophecy of the witnesses. Daniel 7, verse 21 plainly reveals, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. And then verse 22, Until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints in the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So verse 22 plainly is revealing the second coming of the Messiah, and then that's when judgment will be given to the saints in the Most High. And this is the time when we possess this kingdom entirely around the world. All right, in verse 8. And so we know that when the witnesses stop prophesying, that's when they will be killed. All right? Now notice that the angel stated that after the three and a half years, what did he say? Let's go back. Revelation 11, verse 7, let's go back to Daniel. Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, three and a half years, when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. All these things shall be finished. All right, so Daniel uh, 12 verse 7 and Revelation 11 verse 7 is talking about the same thing. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay? And so that should be the end of all these wonders. However, now you're going to be able to understand what the Bible says. No one knows the day or the hour because the angel said that the end of all these wonders is after the three and a half years, right? Well, has the Messiah come back yet? Do the witnesses are killed? No. So that's what it's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. 
Revelation 11, verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So I want to emphasize when the two witnesses stopped their testimony, which is three and a half years, which the angel stated plainly, that would be the end of all these wonders. The Messiah has not come back yet. So that's the reason why, if we're still alive at this time, we have to watch in order to be able to be ready when he comes. All right? Revelation 11, let me repeat that again. The Bible plainly reveals in Daniel 12, verse 7, that the end of all these wonders is a time, times and a half, three and a half years. Well, in Revelation 11, verse 7, what does it reveal? And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay? And so when they are killed, of course, they don't preach anymore, right? Now, has the Messiah come back yet? No. Now I hope you better understand when it says no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. That's why we have to watch. Revelation 11, verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer or allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. In verse 11, and after the three days and a half, so they're going to die. They're going to die. And so their prophesying has ended. They will be dead for three and a half days, just like the Messiah was about three and a half days, or three days and three nights. And then after those three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. They were, they were resurrected, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. In verse 12, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And so they're going to be taken up to, yes, the third heaven. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and then the earthquake was slain of men, 7,000, and the remaining was affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly. And then verse 15, and the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay? And so, I want you to understand this. The two witnesses are killed. Their preaching has stopped because the Bible has revealed that they're only going to prophesy for three and a half years. They're dead for three and a half days. They're resurrected. They're, they're sent up into heaven. And then the second woe is passed in Revelation 11, verse 14. And behold, the third woe comes quickly. And then verse 15. And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay? And so, that's why we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. We have to be watching, ladies and gentlemen. We have to be watching and counting the days. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to have an idea when he's going to come back. We just don't know exactly when. All right? I hope I've clarified that. So, let's go back to watching. Mark chapter 13, verse 34 to 37. How do we watch? And what do we watch for? Well, I'm trying to tell you what we, but I'm going to explain to you 
in detail, the Bible has interpreted this for us. So we don't have we don't have to be clueless about this. Mark thirteen verse thirty four to thirty seven. For the Son of Man, uh, says Mark chapter 13, verse 33, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you don't know when the time is. True, we don't. I just proved that to you. The two witnesses stopped their preaching and were murdered three and a half years, or, or after three and a half years, they stopped preaching, and the angel said that would be the end of all these wonders, but still the Messiah didn't come back yet, right? All right, so Mark 13, verse 33, Take ye he watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Verse 34, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house, Mark 13, verse 34, and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded his porter to watch. So we have to watch. Verse 35, watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. And so he really breaks it down. Now, we don't know the exact instant of when he's coming during the day. That's why we have to watch. Mark chapter 13, verse 36. That not coming, suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. Watch. Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44. says the following. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord does come. Verse 43. But know this, that if the, the government of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. This certainly indicates that we have to at least have an idea of when he's going to come back. And in order to have an idea, we have to be looking at world events. We have to be studying the prophecies of the Bible. Hold your place here as we see the day approaching. Okay, <laughs> My wife uh, talked about that scripture today, and uh, I'm going to turn to it here. All right. Hebrews 10, verse 25. This is the one of the reasons why we have to fellowship. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's a prophecy because some are forsaking the assembly of one another. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Does that mean we know when the day is going to approach? No. But that's saying that we're going to have an idea of when the day is approaching. That's the scriptures and what they say. Then God wants us to have a clue, at least, of when he's coming back. He wants us to have a general idea. We're not going to know exactly the day or the hour. True. Yom, uh, Yom Teruah represents that because we have to sight the new moon to know what day to celebrate Yom Teruah, okay, or the Feast of Trumpets. We understand that. But that doesn't mean we're going to be totally in the dark and not even have an idea of when he's going to come back. Having an idea of when he's going to come back doesn't mean we know exactly when he's going to come back. All right, verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. Verse 45. Who then is faithful and a wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in this due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Really, I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if 
that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. And many people are saying that, that he's delaying his coming. Even with all these signs that are happening as exactly as he says, they still think he's delaying his coming. Verse 49, and shall be, begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in that day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. Uh-oh. So that means we should be aware at least of the hour. We don't know exactly when it is, but we should be aware that it could come. And that we should be looking for him. Okay, so I, I, I'm hope I'm hope I'm explaining this to you in in a clear way, ladies and gentlemen. Luke chapter twelve, verse Luke chapter twelve, starting in verse thirty six. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, which is pretty interesting there that it says that, says that, that when he comes and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth to serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch and find them so blessed out of those servants. Here we go again. We don't know what watch he's going to come in, the second, the third, you know, evening, morning. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. That's what it means when no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. Okay? 39, and this know that if the government of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken through. Verse 40, be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And so we don't know exactly the instant, and the Lord doesn't either. He doesn't know because the Father hasn't told him. He doesn't know exactly when the Father's going to say, okay, now it's time to, to, to go down and land your feet on the Mount of Olives. He doesn't know that, and we don't either. But that doesn't mean that we don't, we can't get an idea based on what the Father has told him already to tell us the signs of the times, the sign of his coming. We can know that. And I can tell you, based on the scriptures, that the signs of his coming are are there. That we are certainly living in that generation that he described. Now, we don't know if that generation is 70 or 80 years. It appears that it is, but we don't know for sure. It could be longer than that. Who knows? It could be 120 years. Because these are the days of Noah, right? We don't know precisely. However, we know for sure that we are living in that generation. We just don't know the length of the generation of those years. All right? But I just want to explain to you that his coming is imminent now, like I said. I don't know. I can't tell you what year. Because the reason why I can't even give you a clear estimate of that is because the temple has not been built yet, and the sacrifices have not started and when the sacrifices start, they have to be stopped. When the sacrifices have stopped, then we can get an idea of the year, okay? But all that is going to occur because the Father has put it in motion. And so when, when, when someone says no one knows the day of the hour, yes, no one knows the day of the hour. Only he knows, and only he's going to uh, uh, cause events to occur where we could find out eventually, or get a, at least a general idea of when that day and hour will occur. All right, so I hope I'm making myself plain and clear. Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, verse 34. And 
Take heed to yourselves that at any time your hearts be overcharged with serviting and drunkenness and cares of his life for that, so, so that day shall come upon you only way. So we should not be unaware of when the day comes. <laughs> Let's look up this word unawares in the Greek. All right? Unaware in the Greek means unexpected. Plain and simple as that. And so when that day comes, we shouldn't be, it should not be something that's unexpected. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. And for it not to be a surprise, we have to be watching. We have to be at least have an estimate or a sense of when he's coming back. Verse 35, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Okay? It's going to come as a snare to most people because they're not going to be looking. But we will. All right. Daniel chapter 11. Okay, um, let me go to 1 Thessalonians. I'm almost done here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Please believe these scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly, that's what the Bible says, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Okay, so your Bible definition of the day of the Lord is also called the thief in the night. And your Bible reveals to you what the thief in the night is. It's not just Yom Teror and looking for the new moon and figuring out when Yom Teror occur. The Lord also did us a favor and revealed to you exactly what the thief in the night consists of. Okay, and I'm going to show that to you. First Thessalonians 5, verse 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And so we know that this day of the Lord it's going to have something to do with people preaching, saying that they're falsely, that there's peace and safety, and then there's going to all of a sudden be sudden destruction, as a snare shall it come upon the face of the earth, right? As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 4, but ye, brethren, are not in the darkness. So we shouldn't be in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. And you're going to understand what this thief is here soon, what the thief of the night is. Children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, be drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate, the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, what is the hope of salvation, ladies and gentlemen? Let's turn to Psalms. Psalms 119, Psalms 119, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Verse 166, Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. So when you hope for salvation, you do the commandments. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath. What is the wrath? Let's go to the Bible again and understand what the wrath is that we're not uh, appointed to, the saints. Revelation 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying unto the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So the vials, the vials, the seven last plagues is the wrath of God. Uh, 
Revelation 15, verse 1 tells you that as well. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And then Revelation 16, verse 1 again, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So the wrath of God is the seven last plagues. That is the wrath that the saints will avoid. I'm going to explain in the future program because I don't have enough how we're going to avoid that. Anyway, getting back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians. Verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, so he has not appointed us to be around at the time of the seven last plagues, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Yeshua Messiah. Verse 10, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourself together and edify one another, even as also you do. Verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And so anyway, you understand that he doesn't want us being in the dark prophecy. All right? And so we should not be in the dark about prophecy. In First Thessalonians 5, verse 2 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. In verse 4 of First Thessalonians chapter 5, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. All right? Now, what is the Bible definition, ladies and gentlemen, of, and I'm saying Bible definition, of the thief of the night? Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Thief in the night is in the context of the seven last plagues. Now, I'm going to go, I'm not going to read all the plagues here, but I'm going to read in particularly the sixth plague. All right? Or the sixth vial. Revelation 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel pour out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. That's near the area of Iraq in the Middle East. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14. And they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. This is the day of the Lord, the day of him coming and annihilating all those who oppose him. Now, interestingly, in verse 15, he states the following. This is the Bible definition of the thief in the night. Verse 15, when all the nations are gathered to battle the Lord, when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, this is when he says, this is the thief in the night. Verse 15, behold, I come as a thief. Be blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, that night he walked naked, and they see his shame. And so this is also referring to the thief of the night, ladies and gentlemen. The time, uh, the sixth vial of the seven last plagues, when all the nations are gathered to the battle of the day of the Lord, of the great day of God Almighty, or the day of the Lord. Verse 16. 
And he gathered them together to a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All right? And so understand that the book of Revelation is categorized into three periods of judgments. You have seven seals. The seventh seal initiates the seventh trump, which is which Yom Teror is all about. All right? The seven trumpets are described in Revelation chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 11, as far as the last trumpet. Okay? So, Revelation 8, 9, and Revelation chapter 11. Uh, it talks about the seven trump sounding. That tells you about what each of those trumpets initiates. Okay? The seventh seal initiates the seven trumpets. Remember that. The seventh trump initiates the seven plagues or vials. Two witnesses stop prophesying, which the angel stated in Daniel eleven, Daniel twelve verse seven, um, that that will be the end of all the wonders, the prophetic wonders, when the witnesses stop preaching, when they are killed. The Messiah has not come back yet. When the seven trumps sound, he still hasn't come back. <laughs> He's come back to resurrect his saints, but he still hasn't come back yet and lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. We still have to be, well, at that time, we're going to be <laughs> along with him. And so we're going to know when the Father tells him to come and take over rulership of the world. But during that time, that's when the seven last plagues will be executed upon the earth. We will avoid that wrath. But the thief of the night that the Lord has described here is talking about the armies of the world being gathered together for the battle of the great day of God Almighty of the day of the Lord. Okay? Only the Father knows when that's going to occur. Only the Father will initiate all these events for that to occur. That's what you must understand. That's what I understand. And it's all Bible. Okay? So, it's true. No one knows the day and the hour, but that does not mean that we don't, won't get a sense or have a clue of when that day or hour will occur. But we will not know exactly when that day or hour will occur. Because the two witnesses is the key to all this. Their preaching stops at the 1,260th day. And they are dead for three and a half days. They get resurrected. And still the Messiah has not come back yet. And so um, <laughs> that's the reason why we still have to be watching at that time for his coming. But that doesn't mean that we're not living in the generation of the time of his coming. Matthew chapter 24. We just don't know exactly when he's going to come. And we don't have a full understanding uh, of what that generation is. It could be 70 to 80 years. It could be more. It could be 120 years. We don't know, but we certainly know at least that we are living in that generation based on the signs of his coming. And the fact also that man has lived approximately 6,000 years. And a day a day to the Lord is as 1,000 years. And there's obviously a 6,000-year plan. And, and all, all, all those things, and also the population of the world as well, should tell you that. 
that we're living in the generation that he was talking about, what I like to call the nuclear bomb generation. Uh, he states here, in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 24, Now learn the parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when you see all these things, and I see all these things, that's why I can say that it is near, even at the doors. Even at the doors. Now hold your place here. This is something else that you need to realize, too. James helps us out a little bit. James chapter 5, verse 1. He gives us an idea of when the Lord's going to come back to. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Verse 2. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, your money is cankered. And the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. So that's a timing scripture there. So... This generation is also a generation where there's the rich has so much more treasure than the poor. In verse 4, Behold, the higher of the laborers have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cries, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, okay, or, or the armies. Verse 5, You have lived in pleasure on the earth, this is the sins of Sodom, and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So this is in the context of time when the rich has never been richer. <laughs> it's our generation. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Verse 8, be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near context of great riches of of a particular group of people around the world having all these riches that's in the context that's why that's why we know that the lord's coming is near verse 9 grudge not one against another brethren that you be condemned behold the judge stands before the door he's standing at the door and what does the bible say here in Matthew 24, verse 33. So likewise, ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. So we can know that it's near, folks, and it is near. Verse 34. Verily I say unto you, this generation, what generation? The generation where I've described all these things that are happening as we as, as I'm speaking. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This is a nuclear bomb generation. This is a generation where the poor is devoured off the face of the earth. This is a generation where you have all these filthy rich people have all these riches, they're storing up treasure for the last days. This is the generation that he's talking about. Because all these things are, he's, he's telling us, when you see all these things, then you know that it's there. I see all these things. So, based on the word of God, it is there. 34. It says, verily I say unto you, this generation, this nuclear bomb generation, this generation where the poor is devoured off the face of the earth, this generation of rich people ruling the world have, is storing up treasure for the last days. This generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. That is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, not my words. So, may the Lord bless and keep you. And true, let me read the rest of this. Verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But in that day and hour, no, no man, no, but the day, but no, but the angels of heaven, but my father only. Now let's read the rest of this. Verse 37, but as in the days of Noah, 
So also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So he doesn't want us being in the dark again. He's giving us a clue. All right? Verse 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in the marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So he's telling you the conditions of the world, which they are starting to be, will be similar to the days of Noah. All right? And then also in Luke chapter 17, he stated that those days, hold your place here. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Verse 22. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall see, desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. Verse 23. And they shall say unto you, See here, or see there, and go not after them, nor follow. Verse 24. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one under the heaven, of the one Part under heaven shineth unto the other under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. As it, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 17. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah came, entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sowed, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay? So he's telling you that things will be similar to the days of Lot and Noah, which obviously they were both similar uh, generations. Okay? So, I've given you the Bible. Please get your head out of the sand and realize we are certainly living in a generation that he stated shall not pass till all these things. What things? The things he said shall be fulfilled. May God bless and keep you. And God willing, well, actually, he talks about, let me, uh, in Matthew 24, verse 22, he talks about they didn't know when it And then, in the context of in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 24, he says, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then in verse 42, he says, Watch ye therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Know this, that if the good men of the house had known and watched the thief would come, now you understand what the thief is now, right? He would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. And again, this is understood by the fact that the two witnesses prophesied for three and a half years. They're murdered. They're dead for three and a half days, and the Messiah still has not come. So that proves that we don't know the day or the hour. That's the reason why we have to watch. And the thief of the night ultimately is talking about, sure, uh, in the context of Yom Teror, that we have to watch uh, so we'll know when to celebrate it, the new moon. But also, watch for the new moon, but we also have to watch world events, and we have to, to, to watch uh, for the events that the Messiah has prophesied would occur to identify which generation he's going to come back. And I say, based on what I'm seeing, generation. Now, do I know how long this generation is? I have some ideas scripturally. Uh, states 70, 80 years, uh, man, a man uh, can live. Also, since he said that these days, this generation is like the days of Noah, it could be 120 years from the time that we had the capability of destroying all of mankind. 
I don't know. I just have an idea. But I do know that this certainly is a generation that shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That I do know. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, may God bless and keep you. And keep in mind, I'm not prophesying the year of his return. What I am telling you is that we are in that generation. Now, I don't know how many years that generation is, but we certainly are living in the generation that he will come back. So may God bless and keep you, and may God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 